I think it's really useful to know what exactly you are protecting your dog from when they get their vaccines and what is going into their body and why. This is the With a Dog podcast, a podcast for the modern dog parent. I'm your host, Carly, and every Wednesday I bring on pet professionals or some fellow dog parents, and we laugh, learn, and commiserate about everything from the confusing vet visits to dog park etiquette to the 2 a.m. potty breaks. Essentially, life with a dog. Hello, people with a dog. We've got a solo episode today. Just me and my voice and all of you. You guys know how much I usually hate uh, solo episodes because myself just talking into the void is daunting and not very entertaining or doesn't make for a very dynamic episode. However, I am actually very excited for this one. So today we're going to be talking about dog vaccines. And there are two different sections of vaccines. There's core vaccines, which are like required by law or by most states for your dog to have as well as, you know, highly, highly, highly recommended by the vet. And then there's non-core vaccines. The non-core ones are a little bit more dependent on your dog's lifestyle, their health, your lifestyle, where you live, and the type of climate, the type of infectious diseases or viruses in that area, etc. So today we're only going to be talking about the core vaccines. I was going to do one whole episode and cover all of them, but it just turned into a lot of information, a lot of just me talking. And I thought this would be a little bit more, I thought it would be a little bit more bite-sized to be able to, or digestible, consumable, to split them up into two episodes. So before we get into it, um, as I said, I'm excited for this episode. I just think it's It's one of those things that you know your dog needs vaccines, and if you've been a dog parent, you know which which vaccines those are, but sometimes you don't know the exact breakdown, like what is in each vaccine, what does each one do, which one is actually required. And I think it's just, this is info that you as a dog parent, everyone as a dog parent should know, just so you can understand what type of treatment, what type of care your dog is regularly getting. So you can advocate for their health if needed. And I just think I think it's good knowledge to have, basically. And also, I am, of course, not a veterinarian or a vet tech or I do not work in the veterinary field any longer. If your veterinarian is telling you how to proceed in a specific way with your dog's vaccines, always refer to the doctor, to your vet. I am just putting this info out there as an FYI, which is why this is an FYI episode. It's purely for your information. And with all FYI episodes, I do thorough research and check my work and all of that to make sure that I'm giving you guys the correct info. But as I said, always refer to a veterinarian when it comes to your dog's health. And the research behind this episode was actually really fun to do because it was a lot more scientific than some of my other FYI episodes have been. And there was a lot more nuance between, you know, what different veterinarians say or different, what kind of different vaccines are recommended for different areas of the world. And, and I did get to call my veterinarian to 
make sure I understood everything and the reasons for certain things and all of that. So that was nice because I like my veterinarian a lot. He's also very hot. So that helps. And um, I really hope he doesn't listen to this. I also hope that this episode doesn't get like flagged or taken down by the podcast powers that be or the CDC because I'm talking about vaccines. I am only talking about dog vaccines as this is a dog podcast. So I really, really hope that there isn't something out there that like limits the info because it thinks I'm talking about pan- human pandemic 2020 related things. I don't even want to say the word because I don't want it to get flagged. <laughs> um, also, speaking of FYI episodes, as you guys know, usually FYI episodes come out on Fridays. The sheer amount of episodes I've been putting out every month, um, I haven't been able to keep up with it between having three guests a month, plus the Friends with a Dog episodes with Charlotte and Ashley, plus two FYI episodes, plus the two bonus Friends with a Dog episodes with Charlotte and Ashley, the exclusive ones. That is eight episodes a month. And it's I it's not happening, honestly, guys. It's just, it's just not um I'm not able to keep up with that sheer amount of content and editing. One day, maybe I can. Maybe I can, you know, outsource the editing and some of the other stuff. But for now, while I'm doing it all myself, FYI Fridays are are going to be a little bit sparse. Or maybe it's not going to be a Friday episode. Maybe it's going to be like the one is today, FYI Wednesday. And so maybe it's a maybe it's a Wednesday episode. I did want to try to keep the FYI episodes, you know, 20 minutes or so. Sometimes that may not happen because of the, as I said, sheer amount of information that I am imparting. But I still want to do FYI episodes every once in a while. So if they come out on a Wednesday and if they happen to be a little bit longer, it is what it is. And I know you guys um, are fine with that because you are so understanding and I love you for that. So I think we're ready to just jump in. As I said in this one, I'm talking about what is a vaccine, a little bit background about like what you can expect from your dog's vaccine experience. And then I'm going to go into the core vaccines, which is rabies, distemper, parvo. And there's a little bit more that is involved with the distemper parvo vaccine because there are other ones that are added in there. So I'm going to cover it all. Oh, one other thing. I am not going to be discussing the puppy vaccination schedule. So everything I tell you as far as how often these vaccines should be administered, that is for an adult dog. So I'm not going over the timing of boosters that puppies need from six weeks to 16 weeks because they need specific boosters for each vaccine. And so always, as I said at the beginning, refer to your vet about your puppy's vaccine schedule. I will try to cover that puppy info, the like puppy scheduling, you know, like first year of life, what's needed for a puppy, something like that, maybe in an FYI down the road or maybe just like with a guest or something. But if you do have a puppy, it applies for like what your puppy is being given. But always refer to your vet on the timing of these vaccinations. Okay, that's all the little things I need to get out of the way. Let's get into core vaccinations. So first things first, what is a vaccine? This can get so nuanced and obviously, you know, there are so much back and forth 
even in the human world about what is a vaccine, what does a vaccine contain, why do we need it, etc. Basically, the science of it is all infectious disease organisms have components called antigens. Each organism has a unique antigen. And then when these antigens are introduced to a human, dog, whatever, immune system, that's when our bodies respond by producing antibodies, which is like the white blood cells, our immune response. So specifically with dogs, let's say rabies vaccination, the vaccine is called, it's a killed vaccine. So like rabies has been killed. It is inactive and completely harmless to your dog, but it contains those antigens still. And it is introduced into your dog's body, which then causes your dog's immune system to have a response to kind of create those antibodies. And that's what happens when the vaccine is introduced to the dog's body. So that does not mean that by injecting the vaccine, your dog all of a sudden has rabies. It's just that those antigens were introduced to their immune system and uh, the immune system has a memory, so to speak. So if your dog is actually exposed to rabies in the future, like in their day-to-day life, on a hike, whatever, their, their immune system is more likely to be protected against those rabies antigens because they already have had it introduced and their immune system is able to fight it off more rapidly and with better success. So that's kind of how a vaccine works in general. Although as we have figured out with vaccines in the human population, Vaccines are not 100% protection against this disease or, or infectious organism. But if your dog were to contract it, their immune system would have way better chances of fighting it off or they would have a lot more of like mild symptoms. And that makes it sound like your dog is going to get rabies. I swear that's not what I mean by saying vaccines aren't completely foolproof. What I mean is that although they are very, very highly successful and highly recommended, it is not a 100% guarantee they're never going to get this infectious disease if they come into contact with it, which is why you need to keep your dog overall healthy so they have a healthy immune system and why you always need to get that vaccine boosted on the regular basis. Okay, moving on. Many of you listening to this probably have gotten your dog vaccinated. You know what to expect when you go to the vet office. It is injected usually subcutaneously. It can be an intramuscular vaccine. It could also be a na- in- intra-nasal like vaccine. So subcutaneously is under the skin. I should have said that. Intramuscular is like inserted into the muscle with a needle. And then the nasal one is like a spray up the nose. So that's how they're usually administered. Usually they are also given in the back leg of the dog. So if it's a sub-Q vaccine, they're usually given in the back leg. And the reason for that is is because although vaccines are on the whole extremely safe to be given, as with any vaccination, anything out there, your dog can have a reaction to it. As I said, extremely rare for a dog to have a a bad reaction to a vaccine but it can happen. And so it's given in the leg just in case a sarcoma develops. Sarcoma meaning a tumor. And if potentially that tumor is cancerous, there's a better chance that the sarcoma would be in a leg and it's something that could be removed while still maintaining the health of the whole dog's body. 
That sounds really depressing. I feel like I'm not giving you guys the right, um, <laughs> the right uplifting message that I want to give with this, but I just want you to know that's like the thought process kind of in, and why a lot of vaccines are given in the back leg, just in case a tumor develops at the injection site. Speaking of reactions to a vaccine, it is normal if your dog is a bit more lethargic, a little bit tired, maybe not as hungry the day, maybe the day after of the vaccination. If it's extreme lethargy, you know, vomiting, fever, diarrhea, um, any swelling or pain or like hair loss or anything like that around the ejection site. And then, of course, like any other adverse reactions that just seem out of place or not normal for your dog, then definitely call your vet after the vaccination. But it is normal to see maybe your dog just being a little bit more tired, maybe not being quite as hungry for the day or a bit of the day after the vaccine. But as I said, if you're worried, always call your vet. And last thing I wanted to talk about as far as background vaccine info, um, there's many companies that produce vaccines, you know, as we know in the human world. And, but Zoetis is the, or Zoetis, people say it weird, but Zoetis is how I've heard it pronounced the most. And it's an American drug company. It's the world's largest producer of pet vaccinations and medicines. If your veterinarian gives your dog a vaccine produced by another company, that is totally fine. This is just one of the most common ones. Um, you'll see their label often. Uh, what happens when your dog gets a vaccine is that oftentimes the label from that vaccine bottle will be taken off and put into their notes or onto their vaccine certificate or something like that. And so that's just like where you'll see the name. I just wanted to call it out as like, it's very common if you just see that on your dog's, you know, notes or receipt or anything from their vaccine appointment. It's the company who makes the vaccine. Okay, let's actually get into what each vaccine is. We're going to start with the main one, rabies. Rabies is a viral disease, so it's a virus, and it is transmitted through direct contact with another animal that has rabies. So saliva, broken skin, mucous membrane, like eyes, nose, mouth, any of that is how it would be transmitted to your dog. As I said, it's a virus and it infects the central nervous system, mostly of mammals, and it, it causes disease and breakdown of the brain and then ultimately death. And rabies just as a disease actually does have a pretty heavy history. And that's why, you know, there's that stigma, like rabid dogs in the street and stuff like that. It, it was actually quite common in domestic animals. And so farm animals, dogs, cats, things like that, up until like the 1960s. And then with significant use and requirement by law of these vaccinations. And of course, better vaccination technology was developed. And so it is now very, very uncommon for domestic animals to have rabies, at least in the US. But it's also something that many, many countries, especially island countries, are very aware of and concerned about which is why it is a core vaccine and the main vaccine your dog needs to be able to travel and why it is also required by most states, but not all. That's not a reason if your state does not require it, that is not a reason to not have your dog get it. But I just thought that was interesting. I would have thought it was 
law fully required by every state, but some places in North America, including Canada, um, do not require it. That's neither here nor there. As I said, it's a core vaccine that your dog definitely should have. And as I said earlier in the explanation, it is a killed vaccine, so it is inactive, and your dog will receive a one-year vaccine of rabies, and then after that, it's only every three years. Once your dog is vaccinated, they will receive a vaccine certificate from your vet, and that includes your dog's information, your information, the vet hospital or vet clinic information, the date of vaccination, as well as the vaccine info. So it has the vaccine info as far as like the serial number and lot number of the actual vaccine bottle, the date of vaccination, the date it expires, and then also a rabies tag is issued and it has the rabies tag number on there as well. And then it usually will have your veterinarian signature or some kind of like signature by the vet clinic. The rabies vaccination certificate is something I would have, you know, just on hand most of the time if your dog is interacting with other dogs. So as I've said in, I think, a previous episode, I usually actually keep mine in the car because if I'm at a dog park or doggy daycare, whatever it is, you know, it's I, I just kind of have it on hand just in case. It's something that also your vet office should always have on hand so they can have the information too. Some states legally require your dog to wear their vaccination tag, like on their collar or something. You can look into that yourself. Personally, I've never put my vaccine, my rabies tag on my dogs. Um, I don't know if it's actually legally required in Washington state. Maybe I should look that up. But as I said, I usually will have it with me if my dog is like off leash with other dogs. And the reason to have that vaccination certificate is purely just because rabies is such a deadly disease with, as I said, a significant history in the U.S. If your dog were to bite someone, if your dog were to get bitten by another dog, if your dog were to bite another dog, whatever it is, it's always nice to have that proof of rabies vaccination on hand just for safety and legal reasons. I'm making it sound like you guys all need to be like carrying it in your pocket from now on. Um, I don't think you need to go to that extreme, but it's as I said, it's just it's the one vaccination that has a tr- certificate and that is for a reason. All right. I think that is actually everything about rabies. We are going to move on because the next one is complicated. All right. Now we're moving on to distemper parvo vaccine. So that's the short version of it. It's usually called distemper parvo vaccine. It actually sometimes can have like a five viruses in one vaccine or four viruses in one or three viruses in one. So this is where it gets very complicated. So it does protect against canine distemper and canine parvovirus, but also it protects your dog from adenovirus, which has a type one and a type two. And so those are like the three required part, like the core. So that's why Oftentimes, what you'll hear it being referred to as is DAP. So distemper, adenovirus. I've also heard it called adenovirus. Either way, distemper, adenovirus, parvovirus. And those are the three. However, it can also be called DHP vaccination, which is basically the same thing. But just to make it more confusing, adenovirus, as I will cover in a sec, is related to hepatitis. And that's why it's called DHP. And then sometimes it's called DHPP, which is distemper, adenovirus, slash hepatitis, 
parvo, and parainfluenza, which is like the flu virus for your dog. And then just to make it more fun, there's DHLPP, which adds leptospirosis in there. And then there is DHPPC, which actually adds coronavirus in there, not the coronavirus that we know as humans, but a different one. It all gets very complicated with the distemper parvo vaccine is what I'm saying. And the reason I want to let you guys know this is because, as I said, sometimes if it's DHLPP or DHPP, that means more things are added into the vaccine. So their non-core vaccines are being added in. So that's kind of like a five-in-one mixture and your dog just gets vaccinated against all of them at the same time, which is completely fine. It is completely safe. If that is what your veterinarian recommends and offers, then go for it. As I said, this episode is purely for your information so you can understand what vaccines your dog is receiving. So if on the line item or when your do- your vet is giving the vaccination, you can ask them and say, okay, is this just distemper, adenovirus, and parvo? Or is this have anything else added in there? Is it the flu virus also? Is it leptospirosis also? And they could be able to answer that for you. As I said, if your vet is recommending it, then your dog probably needs it. And I do not I do not want to undermine any veterinarian with this episode because what they're recommending is backed by their degree and their knowledge. But as a dog parent, I think it all, always makes sense to understand what's going into your dog's body and why. Okay, end of that. <laughs> this is, as I said, this distemper parvo one is so confusing, but let's just go into each component of it. DAP or DHP are the most common forms of this vaccine and the core part of this vaccine. So the leptospirosis, the parainfluenza, all this kind of stuff, those are non-core vaccines, but sometimes can be added into the DHP vaccination. I'm now going to go through the core parts. So that is the distemper, the hepatitis, and the parvo. And then in the next vaccination episode, which will probably be in a couple of weeks, I will go over the non-core stuff. Okay, let's actually get into canine distemper. So it is highly contagious and infectious disease, and it actually can infect a dog's respiratory, gastrointestinal, and neurological systems. Usually dogs are infected through airborne exposure, through like sneezing or coughing from the other dog or animal that has it. It can be transmitted, obviously, if they're like sharing food or water bowls, equipment, things like that. And then also infected dogs can shed the virus for months and mother dogs can pass the virus to her puppies. As I said, it can affect many parts of the dog. So, you know, I'm not going to go into what the symptoms look like because it's everything from like coughing to lethargy to vomiting to seizures. So, so it has quite a number of potential symptoms in a dog. What I did find was kind of uh, unique to it. Sometimes it's called hard pad disease because it can cause like a dog's foot pads to thicken and harden. Um, that is not to say if your dog has thick you know, hard pads their feet of their paws, that does not mean that they have distemper. 
But I just, you know, that was a little interesting fact. So if you hear hard pad disease, you know that it's referring to distemper. And for the vaccination schedule um, for this, it is a subcutaneous vaccine. So is rabies. I don't know if I said that earlier. Um, Subcutaneous vaccine. This one is also every three years, but what they would need is they'd need a first one and then three to four weeks later, they'd need a booster. And then a year later, they can switch to the every three-year vaccination. So it's similar to rabies as far as that it can be done every three years. Some states require it to be done every year. Some veterinarians recommend every year instead of three years. It's up to your vet, but it can be one or three year. But the, f- the first one is administered, then they need a booster three to four weeks later, and then they're good for another year, and then they can switch to the three year after that. All right, so that's distemper. Now we're going to go into adenovirus slash hepatitis. So there are two types of the adenovirus. Adenovirus type one is related to infectious canine hepatitis. Hepatitis is defined as inflammation of the liver. Um, It is usually present in urine as well as eye and nose discharge of the infected animals. So that's how it could be transmitted. And young dogs are at the highest risk of contracting adenovirus type 1. So that's adenovirus type 1. Adenovirus type 2 is actually uh, closely related to causing kennel cough what we know as kennel cough, which is also called tracheobronchitis. So that basically means the location of the infection is the trachea slash windpipe or like bronchial tubes of a dog. And quite commonly, the symptom is coughing, as you would guess. The reason it has kennel in front of it oftentimes is because usually dogs will get tracheobronchitis in dog-heavy areas. So at a boarding facility or kennel or groomer or something, or even a dog park. But that's kind of why it has that nickname, kennel cough. So adenovirus type 2 can cause kennel cough, but it is not the only reason that kennel cough can be present in your dog's body. So there's several different types of viruses and bacteria that can cause kennel cough, which is why even if your dog is vaccinated against it with this DHP vaccination, your dog can still get kennel cough. There is another vaccination called uh, Bordetella vaccine. That's in the non-core vaccinations that I'll talk about in the next episode. That's also related to kennel cough, so I'll cover it then. But those are the two types of the adenovirus. And because both types are so similar as far as the actual formation of their antigens and the organism of the virus themselves, it is included in DHP. So DHP or DAP, whatever the vaccine is called that your dog is given, distempo, adenovirus, and parvo, or distemper, hepatitis, parvo, all the same thing. But either way, both type 1 and type 2 of adenovirus is covered in that vaccination. And as I said before with distemper, because they're all combined, these three, distemper, adenovirus, and parvo, All of those three are combined into one vaccination. So the vaccine schedule is going to be the same as what I said for distemper. So you get your first one, 
and then your dog gets another one three to four weeks later, and then they're good for 12 months, they get another one, and then they're good for the three year after that. So same as distemper, and then that goes for parvo as well, since it's all in one vaccine, one injection done subcutaneously, as I said, usually in the back leg, but could be done anywhere in the dog's body. And now the third one for the DHP vaccine is parvovirus. So canine parvovirus is highly contagious. It can affect all dogs, but I think you hear the most of puppies, especially young puppies under four months who haven't been vaccinated yet. You hear the most of parvo puppies in the shelter world, from backyard breeders. You, I've even heard kind of the horror stories of people who have gotten a puppy. The puppy ended up having parvo and passed days later or maybe did not pass away, but had significant vet bills when they were only 10 weeks old. So it's, it's a pretty serious condition and, and most commonly seen in young puppies. So the virus mainly affects a dog's gastrointestinal tract, and it is spread by direct dog-to-dog contact um, with contaminated feces. Even like trace amounts of the feces from an infected dog can still harbor the virus and infect other dogs that come into contact with it. So it's, it's very easily transmitted from place to place on hair or feet of dogs kennels, leashes, collars, all that kind of stuff. Um, Also, again, since it's a virus, there's not a specific like drug that will kill Parvo. Treatment really is just like supporting the dog's immune systems so that they can fight off the viral infection themselves. As I said, it affects their gastrointestinal tract. So it is a lot of diarrhea, vomiting. They get very low on electrolytes and fluids. And because of that, it is need hospitalization. Treatment can be very expensive. And because of that severity, that is why many puppies do not survive parvo if not treated extremely early on. And then same thing, as I said, it's uh, in the same vaccination, in the same injection as the distemper and adenovirus. So for adult dogs, they get the first one. Three to four weeks later, they get another one. And then they're good until for another 12 months, they get one more, and then they're good for every one to three years. As I said, with the DHP vaccine, um, and just with all these vaccinations, I did not say what the schedule would be for a puppy, because theirs is slightly different. Like, the booster schedule is slightly different for that first, like, from eight six weeks all the way to 16 weeks. So if your vet is recommending a different schedule for distemper parvo, that may be because your dog's a puppy or for some other reason, always go with what they recommend. But that is the approximate vaccine schedule for an adult dog with um, no history of vaccines. All right, guys, we made it. We made it. We all got a great little like biology lesson today. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening to my voice for this long. As I said, I I really did enjoy researching and confirming everything for this episode. You know, I've been a dog mom now for 
eight years and have worked in the industry for over 10. And I feel like I know all this stuff about vaccines. You know, any dog mom has probably, they know, oh yeah, they're due for distemper parvo and they got to get Bordetella, which is kennel cough and the and rabies certificate is, you know, right here and I have it in a file, whatever it is. You know all that stuff, but I just, I think it's really, um, I think it's really useful to know what exactly you are protecting your dog from when they get their vaccines and what is going into their body and why. And, and maybe that's a little nerdy. Maybe it's a little over the top, but I think, um, yeah, I just think it's useful. So as I said earlier, the DHP vaccine is a core vaccine as with the rabies. However, sometimes there are additional non-core non-core vaccines that are added in to that DHP bottle and which makes it DHPP or DHLPP etc I will be going over all of those in the next vaccine episode thank you for sticking around and listening to my voice I hope this was helpful please please you know share it around share it with friends I think it is uh, very useful information especially for new dog parents to learn. And next week is our two-year anniversary episode, which is yet again going to be more of me talking. And then after that, I'm taking a little vacation, a little work podcast vacation. So I'll see you guys next Wednesday. Make sure you subscribe, drop a rating or review. And if you want to follow the podcast, it's at with a dog podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and at with a dog pod on TikTok. And we'll see you next week. Bye. All content on the With a Dog podcast is for informational and comedic purposes only. It should not replace professional advice, treatment, or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer, or behaviorist.